Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff so much. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be discussing measuring satisfaction in healthcare. Today's episode is sponsored by Stericycle Communication Solutions. Learn more about their healthcare communication solutions at stericyclecommunications.com. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. So I wonder if we have a bunch of satisfied uh, healthcare podcast listeners. <laughs> I certainly hope so, John. I certainly hope so. We're Maybe we should the- measure the satisfaction of our podcast listeners by how many tweet after when they hear this. <laughs> that, that, or we, that or maybe we can go old school and maybe send them a mailed survey. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those that are listening to the podcast are going to answer a mailed survey. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's actually a great segue into talking about our topic today, which is really just how healthcare measures satisfaction. So we've got four things that we're going to cover. First of all, we're going to talk about are HCAPs dead or CAPs, are they dead? Then we're going to move into talking about how should we actually measure patient experience. And then we're going to talk about something that should get a lot more attention, which is, of course, physician satisfaction. And then we're going to end off today by talking about an interesting statistic that we found online that came from the recent Cleveland Clinic Patient Experience Summit. So, John, let's talk about age caps. Are they dead? (laughs) Are they dead? I, I would say no, they're not dead. Uh, if you ask any executive at a hospital or health system, they all know this number by heart. They know how it's changed. They know how it's evolved. <laughs> so instead of saying that they're dead, I would just say that they're mature. So I think what's happened with age caps is that they've essentially reached a stage of maturity where everyone is aware of it and everyone's working on it and everyone's done a lot of initiatives to try to improve those scores. And so it's become really mature. We saw this in the meaningful use uh, regulations and, and then as it pushed on to MACRA and MIPS, that there were a bunch of measures that everyone was meeting at basically 100%. And so it had just become so mature. It was one of the good things that they did in meaningful use. I said, hey, everyone's doing it, so why are we still measuring it? I'm not sure we're going to see that same thing with age caps, but I think there's a real maturity in age cap scores. Yeah, I think, you know, what's funny for me is I think in some parts of HCAPs are dead. I think the mechanism in which the information is collected is definitely dead uh, because doing it by phone and doing it by mail, which is actually dictated in the in the process, I think is a little antiquated. It doesn't take into account a lot of the new technologies and the new ways patients want to interact. So I think that part of it's dead, the mechanism of how to collect it. I agree with you. I think the measures themselves um, – you know, I think it's important that we collect it. Some form of satisfaction metric is is important. I think also, you know, the fact that it's tied to reimbursement is definitely some <laughs> the reason why there's so much attention put on it. 
but I'm wondering, like you, you know, maybe the measures are no longer valid. Maybe we need to refresh them or revisit them because, you know, in a lot of cases, it does, you know, it's 100% all the time or it doesn't really capture the nuances of modern healthcare, right? Like whether or not you think your physician did a good job. I mean, is that really relevant in terms of the score? You know, should it be something else? Should it be related to more to outcomes? Should it be more related to the wait times? All those things aren't factored in or they keep trying to change it, but maybe not fast enough. So to me, I agree with you. I don't think it's quite dead, but I think the format of it, how it's collected, and it's certainly um, uh, those, that part of it needs to be changed. And I would take what you're saying one step further and ask the question, have they really improved patient satisfaction or have they just learned to jump through the hoops better? Have they learned I don't want to use the word game the system, but I'll use the word game the system <laughs> to be able to change their HCAP scores, right? Like you said, if they're sending out letters, they realize that didn't work. So now they're doing it at discharge with an individual there, right? I mean, are they learning just how to game the system to improve their scores or have they really changed the experiences so the scores improve? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the one thing I will say about HCAPS, the, one of the great complaints is the fact that it's done so long after the visit or so long mm -hmm. after the patient's been in the, the facility that, you know, your memory, just human nature is you either remember all the bad or you remember all the good. It, you don't actually get an accurate uh, remembering of what happened during the stay. And so, but at least it's consistent. I mean, every organization does this. So at least it was consistent <laughs> across the board. No one was sort of cheating it. But I think a lot of people are now recognizing that it's only one metric of satisfaction and it's done so long after the fact. So you're getting a really historical view. You really can't do much with the data. Like it's not as yeah. if you can go back and fix it, right? No, definitely. And, and it also, I think when you think about that, are we only hearing from the best and the worst? You know, how do we create a, a method to be able to hear from the middle people who had a reasonable experience, but maybe not a perfect experience, maybe not an awful experience? So, I mean, that really kind of leads us to the next subject. Like, how should we measure patient experience? I mean, what, what are the measures that really matter? What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I'll answer it in a slightly different way first. I think the how should it be measured? I totally believe that patient satisfaction should be measured in real time. I don't care what the metrics are necessarily right at the moment, but it's got to be done in real time for the sole reason of at least then you can recover. I mean, if you mm. know someone's not having, uh, you know, is not having a good experience or is experiencing something adversely, I mean, it's too cold in the room, food didn't arrive on time, you know, or food arrived that I shouldn't be eating because I'm on a particular diet. I mean, those things should be done in real time so they can be addressed. And I think most hospitals and most healthcare organizations would agree that that kind of feedback, that kind of measurement is vital for them because they don't want to have patients that have had subpar experiences, but and only by measuring in real time can you actually address it, right? So to me, it doesn't matter what metric it is, as long as it's done in real time, that to me is the biggest change that needs to happen with patient experience measures. It reminds me of those little smiley faces. Have you ever seen those like yeah. in the bathrooms yeah. at the airport or, or uh, yeah, there's a certain restaurants, they have them and you can either push smile, neutral or angry, right? Or the, usually it's those three. I, I think some of them may have five. Uh, you know, it's such a simple thing, but it really, you know, is powerful, I imagine. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know their system completely, but you can easily imagine if they're getting a lot of, you know, happy faces, then they're like, 
life is good. We're all, all is well. And if they start to get them some sad faces, then they say something's going on. And I think there were probably is an opportunity in healthcare to get this real time, you know, one to five ranking, or even just a happy neutral or, <laughs> or sad face to kind of say where I'm at. And, you know, we'd probably discover a lot of interesting insights if they were just doing that all day, every day, because, you know, they have nothing else to do in bed. Of course, many are sick, so they probably can't even reach out and do that. But that's probably, a, you know, that would say something too, right? If they haven't checked in, if they or you know, then they're either sleeping, which is a good thing, or there's some issue and you maybe want to check on them. So, I, you know, maybe there's some uh, interesting bedside stuff that you could do that kind of real-time ongoing. Uh, and if you train them the right way, I think the patients would really engage in something just it's a hyper simple uh, action that they could do that you know what in healthcare and a hospital is simple but that seems like something that could be well actually it's funny you mentioned that because i wrote the piece when i went to the barrel institute uh, patient experience uh, conference earlier in the year but that was one of the vendors was smiley answers and one of the unexpected vendors oh, yeah. i didn't i didn't think i didn't think to see was exactly that the thing you see in the airport washrooms where you click you know the happy smiley face or the red face right depending on the feedback uh -huh. Uh, and they were there because they were seeing interest from uh, patients and from the healthcare community for things like waiting rooms, uh, for things like exam rooms and the cleanliness. Like you can just put any question you want, and people can rate it. Sure. And you know, yeah, I mean, to me, that's still a little bit after the fact because you know the fact that someone hits the the angry button at that there. I mean, it's doubtful someone's going to swing by right away. But at least it's more real time than waiting two weeks after, right, uh, sure. the visit to remember that. Um, and so I think th that has its place. I, I agree with you in the sense of, you know, you got to try and keep it simple. I mean, feedback does not have to be complicated. It could be a two or three question uh, a survey that's done in real time. It could be presented on the monitor inside the patient room. It could accompany the, the food that they're getting, right? Just to have a little rate card that they can fill out and just leave it there on the tray. And then somebody can, you know, when they take it away, they can fill, put those cards into some database. Um, or it can even be a phone number that you can just type in, you know, press one for this, press two for that, right? Um, that kind of feedback is very simple to implement. And, you know, I, I think it's a missed opportunity at most organizations. Yeah, I think they call it growth hacking, right? This, this simple ways to really, you know, hack growth. And I think these are the things we need to incorporate more of. Uh, I think sometimes we complicate things way too much in healthcare. Agreed. And, and, and we're starting to see that a little bit, you know, especially with online uh, um, appointment booking and all the follow-ups now happen through email. But right at the end, there's usually a, hey, do you want to take a quick survey? Or there's usually a couple of questions or, you know, they're, they're asked to answer right away. And that generates their real-time feedback. Because if they answer that, you know, the, the, app, the appointment process was too complicated, sure enough, someone will call them right away and say, hey, can we just make sure, you know, let's verify your appointment? Like, people will do that. And to me, that's the real benefit of this kind of satisfaction measure because you can recover. You can actually do something about it. And I think because of HCAPs, they've been around for so long, I think people have matured to the point where they will now want to do it. I think before you had kind of had to force them, which is why HCAPs came to be. There wasn't a focus at all on patient experience. But now because it's tied to reimbursement and because now people realize it's tied to loyalty and keeping the patients in network, I think people are okay. Like we don't need to be told we got to focus on it, but now we got to use the right tool to focus on it. Yeah, and I think you bring up an interesting aspect, which is 
now most healthcare organizations have a digital channel to be able to reach out to their patients. Whereas, like you said, if we have to send a bunch of letters to them, <laughs> or we have to, you know, fax something, God forbid, uh, you know, <laughs> to them, we're never going to hear back. But now more and more organizations have that digital channel to be able to reach out to the patients in a free or nearly free uh, manner so they could get that real-time feedback. Right. And that's, you know, we've talked about it in other podcasts too, but this is the whole thing where we can borrow from the consumer world, right? Like, you know, we can take things from retailers, we can take things from the hospitality industry and go, hey, let's take some of those techniques and implement those in healthcare. I think it would be uh, perfect. Yep. I think it would be awesome. All right. Well, hey, listen, if you're just tuning in, this is Healthcare IT Today's podcast and episode with John Lin and Colin Hung. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by John. Yeah, well, our sponsor uh, for this episode is Stericycle Communication Solutions. If you're looking for an organization that provides expert answering services for healthcare, you know, really an organization that understands healthcare and the unique answering service needs of healthcare, Stericycle can really help you out in this manner. They work with a lot of really large organizations with high standards, so it's, it's a great company to work with if you're in need of those expert answering services. Plus, they also offer a suite of other patient engagement solutions, including things like automated texting, phone calls, and even online self-scheduling, which we talked about earlier in this episode, which is something patients really love. So if you want to learn more about these solutions and much more that they can offer, check them out at stericyclecommunications.com. All right. That brings us to question number three topic that we're going to talk about. It's a pretty interesting one. It's talking about physician Satisfaction, something that we don't really talk about a lot in healthcare. So, John, what's your take on this? Should we be measuring it? How should we be measuring it? What should we even bother with it? Oh, physicians don't matter. I... No, I'm just no, are you kidding me? I mean, I read something today about how important the physician was to ensuring quality care was provided to patients. And I think we underestimate how important that the physicians are to so many aspects of healthcare. And, you know, we certainly see a lot of physician burnout that's causing problems, uh, not just personally for the physician, but also for patient care, also for an organization. If you have a bunch of burnt out physicians, you're not going to be a high performing organization. Forget about anything in value based care. So, I, you know, I, I think it's an extremely important thing. And, and I think we're starting to see a lot more organizations wake up to this. And I think they're waking up to the fact that there's a lot more to physician satisfaction than just holding a yoga class or trying to provide them some sort of wellness solution uh, survey to see how they're doing. You know, there, there's just a lot more to it uh, than that. And, you know, the other part that obviously for me as a health IT nerd and someone who's written about EHR for 13 years, uh, for me, it's really the physician EHR satisfaction. And, you know, there were a lot of great insights that came out of the Arch Collaborative event that I went to uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, with class. So class research has put together the Arch Collaborative. They've done, I believe, 100,000 surveys of physicians, but also nurses, allied health professionals to say, how satisfied are you with the EHR? And now they're even going beyond that to burnout and some other things as well. But it was fascinating to hear some of the insights. And, you know, I think some people have construed it a little bit uh, wrong. I think the, phys- the EHR is causing burnout, but I think it's causing it across all types of EHR. Uh, some are, I think, worse than others, uh, if you look at the data. Uh, but even the, you know, the highest rated EHR has a lot of burnt out physicians and physicians that are really unhappy with that EHR. And they have some that are really happy. So, uh, you know, I think it indicated some really interesting, the, the EHR can burn them out, but there's things you can do to make it so the EHR is not burning the physician out nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Some of those things include proper training enough training. So training was a key aspect that they measured. And the more training, the higher quality training they had, the more satisfied the the physician. And then the second one that I think is really interesting is personalization. So how personalized have you made it? And have you done some personalization to make it easier for the physician to use? Which is interesting. Both of those are kind of require some training. And I think about all the doctors who said, I don't have time to train on it. It's like, well, you kind of just burnt yourself out by choosing not to go to the training or not commit enough time to it. So I think it was some fascinating insights as far as satisfaction. Yeah, for me, physician satisfaction definitely should be something that organizations are measuring. And I think they are. I think for me, though, what where where I'm very keen and interested in is, you know, is there sort of a what you know what would happen with HCAPs? Can we do for physician satisfaction? Can we come up with a standard way to at least measure it? I know it probably won't be 100% accurate, but at least it's consistent. You want to tie it to reimbursement like that too, no, or? I'm not sure we want to go that far yet, <laughs> but maybe maybe one day someone will. Uh, but I'm just I, thinking. I think every doctor scream no. <laughs> But I think even at least having the same metric across all organizations that you can at least do a benchmarking with to say, hey, you know, is there some regional difference? You know, is there some uh, size uh, uh, equivalency where it's a certain types of hospitals or certain specialties? And, uh, you know, are neuroscientists, uh, sorry, neurosurgeons more burnt out than, you know, orthopedic surgeons? And, you know, at least be able to, to look at the data in that way to discover where there might be a hotspot. Uh, where maybe there needs to be more interventions because right now I think people are adopting solutions from other industries, but it's inconsistent. Some people adopt from you know hospitality, some people adopt from the you know the HR best practices. I think if there was some standard uh, that can at least be applied, where we can at least get a consistent uh, foundation, then I think we can do some interesting comparisons and really look into like what is causing you know burnout or what is causing some dissatisfaction. And for me, one of the biggest ones, I know you went down the technology angle. I went down, I'm thinking down the respect angle. I just think that physicians in a lot of cases feel that they're not treated with respect. That may be from uh, their uh, patients, it may be from fellow clinicians, it may be from administration, it may be, be you know, from, you know, just the, in terms of uh, their peers, right? Like just yeah, some of their peers just don't feel like they're, they're being respected. So I think that that's an interesting one to, to look at because I believe that that has a bigger impact than, you know, a lot of the technology, the fact that you're just not felt that your time is being respected or maybe that your voice is being heard. And I think those are fairly easy things to address, or at least can be addressed a lot quicker than implementing a new system. 
Yeah, so the two great points. The first one is interesting in the class data. They looked at it across size of organization, didn't see any correlation. They, you know, they're like, okay, so the most funded ones, they should be better, didn't see the correlation. A lot of the most satisfied, happiest users of EHR, the uh, physicians come from smaller organizations who have limited budgets and other things. So it, it was fascinating to see. And, and there wasn't, as I recall, I don't remember them there being a regional difference either. Uh, mm. you know, you know there, there's dissatisfied ones everywhere. <laughs> and satisfied ones everywhere that's, that's everywhere. positive too your comment though about respect is pretty fascinating when i think about something i read today that said maybe we made a mistake in trying to find the in trying to apply the disney model to healthcare and mm. the disney model is essentially kind of back of house don't let them see all of the crazy stuff that's happening to make this production amazing Right. So there's kind of a front of house and a back of house and you never see the back of house at Disney. And so I've seen some healthcare organization organizations do that where they hide the back of house. And, you know, someone made the assertion today that I read that said maybe that was a mistake because by doing that, we hid all of the messy stuff. We hit all of the challenging stuff. I mean, if I'm in a waiting room and I'm waiting for an hour it helps for me to see that the doctor's running around, you know, seeing six other patients versus sitting up with his feet up with a coffee. And, you know, like, I mean, yeah. that helps me like at least have some sympathy for them and understand, hey, they're racing as fast as they can to get to me. And, and maybe I should have a little more sympathy. Obviously, there's other ones, you know, that you're, you know, I think apply to what you're saying. But I thought that was an interesting take as far as what we've done in our design that maybe that wasn't a good thing. Yeah, maybe we need those, maybe like the restaurants now where you can see right into the kitchen. We need something similar to that in the healthcare world, which actually is a nice segue into our last uh, interesting stat to discuss, John. So this one comes to us from uh, Kim Saxton, who tweeted this out during the Patient Experience Summit from the Cleveland Clinic and said, and what she said in a tweet was, employees will cut back 66% of their efforts if they feel they've been disrespected or experienced incivility in the workplace. And those who witness that incivility or in, witness that disrespect uh, will have a 25% worse experience. So not only is the person who uh, was the direct target affected, but those around it who witnessed it are also have a reduction in their effectiveness. So John, what do you think about this statistic? <laughs> Well, I mean, top of mind right now is we just uh, announced the keynote for Expo.Health is Ivo Nelson and Dana Sellers, and they put out a book called Loved-Based Cultures. And really at the core of that book is about effective leadership and kind of the balance of fear-based leadership versus love-based leadership. And that's what this tells me, that if you rule by fear, you may see some short-term gains but you're also going to cut their effectiveness if they feel disrespected, if they, you know, if they think you're uncivil in your conduct. And love is a much uh, better approach in that direction. And so you might want to consider more of a love-based approach, like, uh, like they're saying in their love-based culture book. Um, so I, that was the first thing I, I think that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind really came from the Arch Collaborative event and hearing all of these CIOs, CMIOs, physician leaders talking about the things they're doing that they are found successful. And if I were to sum it up into one word, it would be leadership. If you have effective leadership, 
you're going to do amazing things because you're going to have great governance because the leader helps put that into place. If you, you know, if you have a strong leader, you can advocate for effective training and include that even in their requirement for employment. Uh, you know, they gave a great example. They said, hey, you don't get a log into the EHR until you finish these four hours of training. And that takes a great leader to be able to say, we're going to do this. If you're not a great leader, if the other people walk all over you, then that, that causes problems with your organization. You're not able to implement these changes that will really improve satisfaction. So I'd say a lot of this goes back to leadership. Yeah, I think definitely I agree with you. And, and you know, the way I interpret this um, uh, statistic, there's two ways. One is sort of the overt incivility, there's the overt disrespect when it's, you know, between two people, between a leader and a subordinate, between a teammate and another and another peer. When you see that, that definitely, I, mean, I think everyone would go, yeah, it's obvious that would have a detrimental impact on satisfaction and on workplace output. Uh, but I also think that sort of, to go back to what I said before around the disrespect that's hidden, if, if I'm a physician or a clinician and I feel that people are disrespecting my time, they're not respecting the value of what I'm bringing to the organization by, I mean, maybe, maybe it's because it's a harebrained policy that they've implemented or that they've, you know, uh, asked me to track my time in a minutiae way and me not understanding, well, the reason they need to do this is because of some reporting thing, not because they don't trust me but I think it's because they don't trust me. Well, that to me is a disrespect. And of course, I'll tell my peers about it and I'll tell the, my coworkers about it. And then that's just something that feeds on itself. So I think you have to be very careful, as you said, John, You know, if you're a leader in a healthcare organization, you have to be very clear on why you're being asked uh, to or asking your, your folks to do something. And you have to be very clear about um, what it is and where it's going downstream so that people don't feel disrespected unnecessarily. Um, I don't think you can do much about the whole fighting. I mean, that's a cultural thing, but I think you can do a lot of stuff related to the technology where we just implement a policy and don't think about the impact of, well, do we actually just disrespect our physicians here? And, you know, yeah. that and here you go, the statistics saying that 66% of them will just have a, you know, will just really cut down their efforts. So there's this really good uh, post we just published from a new uh, a new contributor to healthcare IT today uh, named Nick, and he he's, he worked at a healthcare organization, became a consultant. He, he called it the silent sabotage. So go right. check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Read his story. He he outlines this whole experience of the silent sabotage. Uh, so such a powerful idea. So check that out. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, what you say is very key. And, you know, in healthcare, it's easy to hide and it's easy to, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts where we can accidentally implement something that can do that, right? That can cause that that uh, that silence, as you put it. And I like that. Uh, and actually, that brings us to the end, John. So this is a thank you to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find out more details about our show. Please check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hahn with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening and have a great week.